before I start, I just want to pray. I want to pray um, for me. I want to pray for you guys. Um, and I, I just want to pray that God's word is heard clearly um, and that we all encounter him through uh, what the writer is saying to us. So, Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that we can come and be here today. We are so thankful for, for your word that you have left for us. Lord, we pray as, as, as I preach, I pray you would speak through my words. I pray that you would uh, pierce hearts today, Lord. I pray that nobody in earshot of this, uh, myself included, Lord, would go home unchanged. God, would you speak and would we respond? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, my name's James. I'm part of the team here. If we haven't met before, there's a few faces I don't know, which is exciting. Um, uh, I am, as I say, excited to share the next one in our Hebrew series. Uh, this is uh, going to be based in Hebrew 7, and uh, we're going to be introduced to a character who um, isn't very mentioned through the Bible, actually, but is a key person. And so it's quite exciting. I've been encouraged as I've prepared to see just how the writer to the Hebrews uses this character to point out that there was, a, there was always a plan for Jesus to come and become our priest. Now, we are, we've been going for a while in Hebrews. We took a little interlude over the summer, but we've been going for a while and we've seen how the writer of the Hebrews is hammering it home again and again. And in fact, the, the series is called Jesus is Better. He's hammering this home that Jesus is better. He is better than the angels. He's better than Moses. And then we got uh, a, a few chapters ago, actually, to, to the point where he's starting to say how Jesus is our great high priest. Um, and we're going to see how actually he is a better priest today. Um, we, we went through a few little things over the last couple of weeks that haven't been about him being a great high priest. Actually, the writer declared it, and then he uh, stepped back slightly and, and, and actually, I think, had this passage in mind as he, as he started to say to the, the uh, people he was writing to, to the Hebrews, that actually uh, maybe their knowledge wasn't quite as good as it should be and he was having to teach them a bit more basics, uh, some of the basics again. Um, but he then went on to talk about God's promises. And last week, uh, Owen shared uh, about how when God gives a, a promise or he swears something, that it will come to pass, that, that he, he cannot get that wrong. <laughs> it, it's the fact that he's given this oath or this promise uh, means that it will come to happen. And that is crucial. I want us to hear that because of what we're going to read in a moment. Um, before I get into Hebrews 7, though, I want to just set a little bit of, of context. Um, so I, I want to pick up on those last two verses of chapter 6 before we start, because I think they frame really where he is taking us. Um, it says, we have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. Now, uh, 
that the people that heard this originally, that's, that this was written to, would have understood what that means. That is the inner place, the place behind the curtain is the place in the temple where God's presence is. Only the high priest could enter it. This is behind the curtain. Where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And to us, we hear that name, Melchizedek, and it makes us go, who? (laughs) What? And today, we shall find out a bit about that. Um, But I I wanted to pick up those verses because he's talking about how Jesus leads us into God's presence. Okay? So, we are going to do an extensive Bible study. Okay, we're going to look through all of the Old Testament references to this Melchizedek. Okay, now get comfy, uh, rearrange your dinner plans because there's a lot of references. Uh, well, I lie, there's two references. This is going to take us about two minutes, probably. Okay, so all the way back. This is 2,000 years before the letter to the Hebrews. We're going back to Genesis, to Abraham, or Abraham as he was called at this point. And this is the first mention of Melchizedek. He kind of comes out of nowhere. Abraham, or Abraham, sorry, has just uh, rescued his nephew Lot. He's kind of saved, uh, fought this fight with a whole load of kings and won. And as he's returning from the battle, it says this. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So this man has just suddenly turned up. He's been declared a a, a priest of the God Most High. He's blessed Abraham. Abraham's given him a tenth, and then we actually don't hear from him again for quite a long time. In fact, another thousand years comes and goes before he's mentioned again. And this is the only other time that he's mentioned in the Old Testament. In fact, it's the only other time he's mentioned in the Bible other than in Hebrews. So this is uh, quite... These are important points. That's why I want us to to hear them. Okay, these two passages, and we'll we'll draw out why they're important over the course of uh, uh, of Hebrews seven. But I want us to get uh, to Psalms one hundred and ten now, and I'm not going to read all of it. It's not a long psalm, but I don't have long. Um, I'm going to pick up on verse one, which, if you have an encyclopedic memory, you will know that actually we looked at in Hebrews 1, because he quoted from this verse. He said, uh, this is David now talking, okay? Uh, David bringing this prophecy that the Lord, as in God, Yahweh, says to my Lord, as in somebody that he considers greater than himself, and again, these might remind you of other New Testament verses. You know, Jesus quotes this, uh, this passage. He says to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool, uh, until I make you in charge of everything. And then in verse 4, he says this. The Lord has sworn 
and will not change his mind. You are a priest. That, that you is this one that David called Lord. So, so his Lord. Um, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, two mentions. That's it. He then vanishes from the Bible until we get to Hebrews. This man who appeared to Abraham, who was mentioned in uh, uh, David's prophecy, actually, about the coming one, the one who he was going to call Lord. And uh, then the writer to the Hebrews talks about him and uses those two passages that we've just looked at to tell us something of Jesus, something of how, remember what his, what his theme is, how Jesus is better, how, how Jesus is greater. He uses these two uh, slightly obscure passages to, to pull out something about Jesus Christ. So, should we get on and read it? <laughs> so, starting at um, verse 1 of Hebrews 7. We're going to stay in Hebrews 7 now, so if you do want to turn there, I'm not going to bounce around too much, so um, you can read along with me or it will be up on the screen. Um, I'm going to pause lots as I read it, okay? So just I want us to really grasp what the writer was saying, what the original readers would have seen as they, as they took it, because I think if we can get the context that he's talking into, it will really help us to apply it to us as, as we kind of reflect on this passage. So, um, for this, Melchizedek, king of Salem, that, I, I should say that's probably Jerusalem, okay, so he is king of Jerusalem, priest of the most high God. And I'm going to pause before I even finish verse one. So, immediately, the people that were hearing this, it, it would have sparked a question. He's a king and a priest, there's something interesting there. They, they wouldn't have expected that. These are different positions held by, uh, by the Israelites. Actually, there were priests, there were kings, and they, didn't, uh, they weren't performed by the same person. Okay? So already, we're starting to see the writer trying to go, just rethink what you already know. <laughs> um, and he's chosen Melchizedek because actually, Melchizedek was a king and a priest before Israel had a king or a priest. Okay? So this is important. This Melchizedek met Abraham, returning from the slaughter of the kings, and blessed him. And to him, Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. That's what we've just read about. He, Melchizedek, is first, by translation of his name, King of righteousness, that's what Melchizedek means. And then also king of Salem, that is king of peace. In Jerusalem, city of peace. Again, this should be sparking something because we were expecting Jesus to have those two titles. <laughs> that, that he is king of righteousness, he is king of peace. He's linking up something here. He is without father or mother, this is Melchizedek still, father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the Son of God, he continues a priest forever. 
I don't think he is saying here that Melchizedek didn't have parents and didn't ever die. Okay, Some wacky theology has come out of this, but actually that it doesn't stand up. So I'm not even going to go into it. What he is saying is, in Scripture, he comes out of nowhere, as we've just seen. We don't have any understanding of, of, of how he became a priest of the God Most High. And then he disappears without that priesthood ever being stopped. And that's significant because all of the other priests in the Bible have a clear start and end. They all come, and, and as we see, they all have a, a reason for being allowed to be a priest that is based on their parents. Okay, so all he's saying here is Melchizedek's different. He doesn't have those things. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils. And those descendants of Levi who received the priestly office have a commandment in the law to take tithes from the people, that is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. So the Levites, the, the descendants of Levi are the ones who are the priests in these days. Okay, So they also... They, they receive their payment for serving God most high from receiving a tenth from their brothers, from those who are also descended from Abraham, the Israelites. But this man, who does not have his descent from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. Again, these the, the people reading this, that is shocking. You are saying that, that, that Melchizedek is greater than Abraham. And actually, he's using the, the fact that, that Melchizedek blessed Abraham as as a proof of this so so you can't you can't give a blessing to someone that that doesn't need it almost that's what he's trying to say now that's slightly awkward for us especially when we just sing songs like blessed be your name and and my oh, my soul bless the lord because that doesn't quite fit with what he's saying but actually this is a different type of blessing this is this is this is saying in god's name i bless you you can't, the, the the priest couldn't have done that unless he was superior in this in the author's words here. This is all about eroding some of the beliefs that say Abraham the patriarch is is like greater than than anybody else that could come. Saying so, actually no, look in look in the original word and you'll see even there it was proved he wasn't. And then we get into a really weird little uh, passage, but we'll, we'll go quickly on. It says, in the one case, tithes are received by mortal men. But in the other case, so that's the Levites, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives, as in this order of Melchizedek that, that um, David talked about. It, it's never ending, it keeps going. One might even say that Levi himself who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham. For 
He was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Like I say, it's taken an odd twist here. We started talking about Abraham's loins, which to us is like, let's, let's not dwell on this for too long, right? Um, we, we don't want to talk about it too much. All he's really saying is, because Abraham paid tithes, so did Levi and all of the priests ever since. And therefore, they are somehow uh, not as... Um, uh, well, sorry, I've forgotten the words. They are somehow inferior to Melchizedek. Um, it, if that's weird, th- think of it like I... This is going to shock you. I wasn't alive in World War Two. okay? Um, neither were my parents, actually. Uh, my dad is the older of my parents. He was born, a, I mean, a really long time ago, 1951, Dave. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that? Uh, so... My parents weren't alive in World War II, but their parents were, and their parents were, uh, were English, and they lived in England, and therefore I can say, we won World War II. Do, do you see? That, that isn't a weird statement to say, is it? Um, we won World War II. Not, I, I wasn't any part of it, just like Levi didn't actually physically give a tithe, but that's all he's getting at here. It's the same thing, right? Because his ancestor did. Okay. Is everyone with me so far? I'm kind of trying to whistle through just to try and set what he's... These all kind of trying to erode those thoughts and get us ready for, for the real meat that comes in a moment and the exciting bit that comes in a moment. So I'm going to move on from Abraham's loins quickly. So, verse 11... Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? Aaron was the first of the Levitical priests. Okay. Uh, for when there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. Now, I, I, again, I don't want to spend long on this, but this, this is the, him saying that the priests and the law that, that they outworked, so they did all of the ceremonial aspects of the law, they were teachers of the law, that, that they are intertwined together, the priesthood and the law. Okay, And if God has said there is going to be a new priest of a different priesthood, then necessarily there comes new law, okay? I'm not going to dwell too long on that because um, we will touch on covenant, we'll touch on law and things as, as we come up, uh, and, and particularly over the next chapter, uh, we'll hear a bit more about it. Um, so I'm not going to spend too long on this bit, but just understand that there is a, a, a pairing between law and priesthood. For the one, this is Melchizedek, for the one of whom these things are spoken belonged to another tribe. He wasn't of the tribe of Levi. From which no one has ever served at the altar. So it's a different priesthood. For it is evident that our Lord, he's now talking about Jesus, was descended from Judah. And in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. 
But remember Melchizedek, king and priest. He had a lot to say about the tribe of Judah, and actually that was the tribe that the kings came from. That's where David was from. And all of these thoughts would be going through people's minds as they read it, because they would know this stuff. They'd lived and breathed this stuff all of their lives. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent. So he's not become a priest because of his parents. He's not in the tribe of Levi. But by the power of an indestructible life. He's talking about Jesus. He's, He's saying Jesus is allowed to be a priest based on his indestructible life. Based on the fact that he died and rose again, never ever to die again. So he is is now going to be eternal. And I'm not going to dwell too long on that phrase. I'm regretting saying that phrase. Uh, He is eternal. He is never going to die. For it is witnessed of him, remember this Psalm 110, this is where this comes from. This is David's prophecy a thousand years before Jesus appeared uh, as, as a baby. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. You are different priesthood. You, you are going to be a priest that is different to the Levitical priesthood. You are, and I like this word, of the Melchizedekian priesthood. You can all practice that when you get home if you want. Melchizedekian priesthood. The fact that this was prophesied, the fact that this was talked about before, says that actually this isn't just something that we've kind of come up with, that Jesus uh, somehow, because Jesus rose from the dead, oh, he should probably be our priest, shouldn't he? This is all saying this was God's plan. God intended this priesthood to be set into place. He intended Jesus to perform the role of our high priest. And actually, we've, we've kind of the, the reason why this is key to the people that are hearing it is because they would have struggled in a way that we don't with that statement. They would have gone, but he's not allowed to be a priest. He's not a Levite. And th- the whole of the passage so far has been proving that Jesus is allowed to be our priest. Not just allowed to be, but deserves to be. Let's keep going. For on the one hand... A former commandment is set aside, the Levitical priesthood being being the only ones that can be priests, because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. Uh, I just need to pause for a minute. He is not trying to say that the law, the the God's commands, God's uh, plan of using the Levitical priesthood is bad. He's not trying to say that it was wrong. He's saying it was useless, but in in one very particular sense that it was useless. It was useless in that it could highlight 
what, what we did wrong, it could highlight that we, uh, that we needed the law, that we, that we needed to obey God, but, but couldn't obey him. But it failed in one key aspect. It could not do anything to make us perfect. It could not deal actually with the fact that none of us live up to that standard. None of us are able to. The law is, is um, useless in that sense. Okay, that's what he's trying to get at. And so that, that should start to lead us very clearly into what in particular is he talking about about Jesus as our priest? What is the in particular, the, the part in particular that he is trying to pull out of the importance of Jesus' priesthood here? So on the one hand, we've got the law that's been set aside. And on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. This verse is why I wanted to just start with the end of chapter 6. Because that better hope, that hope is talked about in chapter 6, a hope that enters into the inner place that, that allows you to approach God through Jesus. So this is something, Jesus' priesthood is, is around us being allowed to approach God. Something that these original readers would have found incredible. So, it goes on. And it was not without an oath. Remember the importance of these oaths. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath. They, they, were, they became priests, but there was no promise that that priesthood would go on forever. That's all that's, all that's getting at. But this one, Jesus, was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. It was always God's plan that the Levitical priesthood would have an end and another priesthood would go on forever. And remember that that, that one priesthood actually couldn't let you into the most holy of holy places. They couldn't let you through that curtain. Only the high priest ever got to go in there. Whereas this priesthood goes in and says, come with me. I, I've made a way for you. The, the whole point the letter of Hebrews, of him saying, Jesus is better, is to try and persuade his readers, do not go back to your old ways, because the new ways are better. He's saying, do not, in this instance, do not go back 
to trying to approach God through the Levitical priesthood. Because you couldn't approach God. It didn't make you clean enough to approach God. But there is one, Jesus, who can make you clean enough to approach God. Why would you go back? That's that's the whole point of this passage. Why would you go back? Let's keep going. He says, this, talking about the oath that God's just, just said, this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. It's like the guarantor, Jesus is literally saying, I will make this happen. I guarantee it. Because of me, you are allowed to approach God. Right? Other, other um, translations, yours might say, um, makes Jesus the guarantee. Both is true. Both, both apply equally. He is the guarantee. He will guarantee it. That is what a guarantor does. He, he will guarantee it that you are allowed to approach God. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. They were fairly normal people. They died and they stopped being priests at that point, right? Fairly uh, solid logic. Um, but think about that. Think, think, think through what we've just also heard. All of these priests, the, the many priests, could not achieve what Jesus does. It says, but he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. So the many priests, they, they were the priests of a law that did not actually change us to allow us to approach God. Whereas Jesus on his own makes a way that we can. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost. And I, I just want to pause on that word because there's kind of two meanings of uttermost that could be read into that. And I think both of them are perfect. <laughs> so uh, I don't care. I, I think probably it's ambiguous to allow us to think both. He is able to save to the uttermost. So that could be so fully it, it doesn't matter how far you have fallen it doesn't matter what you have done he is able to save you so to the uttermost he can save you or it could mean and i think and it does mean that he can save you to the uttermost forever there will never be an end of that saving okay so he is able to save you to the uttermost, both fully save and forever save those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Again, this is, this is alien 
to the people that were reading it. This is these these concepts are um, are different from what they grew up with. You're saying Jesus is intercessing. That was that was an angel's job, actually. But Jesus is greater than the angels. You're saying Jesus is is somehow making a way to approach God. But hang on, that's the high priest's job. Yeah, Jesus is a better high priest. And he is intercessing. That just that literally just means that he is talking to God on our behalf. Uh, think back, the reason why I read the first verse of that psalm was to, to put in your mind where this Jesus is right now. He is sat at the right hand of God the Father. He is talking to God the Father about all of those who draw near to God through him. That is, Christians. Those who have put their faith, their trust in him that have said, I am able to draw near to God because of what you have done. He is talking to God the Father about us right now. This is why he's a better high priest. Goes on. It says, "For it was intend, it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy. That is set apart, that is uh, different. He is he is uh, purer than us. He is set apart from us. He is innocent. He never sinned. Unstained doesn't carry the the effect of sin in that way." Separated from sinners, he has been taken out of of this world and seated by God. In fact, exalted above the heavens. He's seated in that special seat next to God. He has no need, like those high priests, the, the Levite ones, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. Since he did this once for all when he offered himself up. Jesus, the, the, the Levites had to kill lambs. They needed the blood of those lambs to atone for us, to clean us of our sin, to be able to approach. I say us, I mean actually the Israelites. Jesus, once and for all, by his sacrifice, by his death, atoned for us. He did what none of those other sacrifices could do. It was once for all. That is, again, a little bit like uttermost. That can have two meanings. That is once for all, as in all time, and once for all, as in all people that believe it. And then he wraps up, and I, I want to... Um, 
I'm going to finish off and then we will start trying to relate this to us today. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. But the word of the oath, that's that, that one that uh, David talked about, that God has said that he will make Jesus a priest forever, that oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. That is not that he wasn't perfect before. That is saying, as we've just read, he, he, he was the right person. He, it was indeed fitting. So he was already the perfect choice for it. He then carried out the perfect action, as in the, f- the perfect sacrifice. And in doing those things, being the perfect person and the perfect sacrifice, doing the perfect work, he was made perfect he, he completed the perfection, right? The thing he was called to do forever. So, we, like some of that may have excited you. I hope it did. But probably not in the way the original Israelites that were reading this would have found it. I don't know about you, if, if, if the, the writer of the Hebrews is trying to persuade people not to go back to the Levitical priesthood, not to go back to those regular sacrifices, uh, uh, going to the temple and things, like, I may stand alone here when I say, actually, that isn't my temptation, right? I, I don't, nothing, I've never thought, ah, oh, I wish I could get the local rabbi to kill a lamb for me. I don't know, you might have felt like that, but I don't. So what does this have to do with me today? What does it have to do with you today? What is it that he's saying, don't turn back to? What is it that that the Levitical priesthood offered that they were tempted to turn back to? They offered an atoning sacrifice. It was not as good as Jesus's. It was not lasting. But as I prepared, I was feeling challenged. What is it that I am tempted to say I am clean because? So I am clean because, uh, I don't know, I do the housework. I am clean because I live well. What do I say I am clean because that is not Jesus' blood? For me, actually, the, the, lately, the thing that I realized personally was how much money I give. I, I, I give to, mostly to church and I felt like actually God was saying, you, you gave with good intentions to start with. But you've let that slip into pride. You've let that slip into something that, that makes me feel like I'm somehow cleaner because I do it. 
I shouldn't be saying this because we've got a big offering coming up. (laughs) I was really tempted to stick to the verses where it talked about Abraham giving a tenth. You know, just really dwell on that. But, but like, actually, that for me, none of you will have seen that. None of you could have seen that in me. But I know in my heart that I had started to say, God, I've almost earned something of what you give me because I give you, I give my money. That's not to say I'm going to stop giving my money. But there's nothing wrong with giving money. What's wrong is that, that mindset of mine that says somehow I'm cleaner than I would be if I didn't give that money. Does, does that make sense? So I can't speak for you. I can't look at you and say, that's your thing. But I can trust the Holy Spirit to highlight right now if there is anything that you know you have started to put your trust in to make yourself clean that is not Jesus's blood and I want to (laughs) echo what the writer to the Hebrews is saying to say do not go there (laughs) Jesus's blood is better than anything that you can do Anything that you can outwork, anything that you can achieve is not going to make you any cleaner than him because he has already made you clean. He has already made it that you can be saved to the uttermost. And it is not because of what you do. It is because of his one sacrifice, his death on the cross, his blood poured out for you that cleans you of all sin forevermore. Every sin you had committed before you became a Christian and every sin you have committed since and will ever commit can be covered. Dave started the meeting with Psalm 103 talking about how far he has removed our transgressions, as far as the east is from the west. There is, there is no end to the distance. You cannot do anything to earn it again. Jesus is the better high priest. He performed the better sacrifice And he has more fully uh, made a way to enter into God's presence. I'm going to pray. And then I think it would be good to worship. As I I pray, maybe Carney and Anya, maybe you could make your way back up. Jesus, we are so thankful that you lived that perfect life. And that you were made perfect through that sacrifice. We are so thankful that you are now seated at the right hand of God. We are so thankful that his plan had always been for you to be seated there on our behalf. His plan was always that we would be able to enter his presence because of you. So God, I pray right now, would you highlight things that we, that we put in our 
in our minds and in our hearts as ways that we're allowed to approach you more fully. Lord, I pray as we, as we go forth and we still stumble, that we would not look to those things to somehow make us clean, but we would turn quickly to you in thankfulness that you have already made us clean. Jesus, we are so thankful for what you did. We are so thankful that you have saved us so much more fully than we possibly could. You have covered every sin for eternity. We praise you, God. We worship you.